0: Here's your message, and we're done. I wonder, as I hear those words, how many of us feel the same way? How many of us come into worship this morning and are just a little bit tired or a little worn? Or maybe your heart is heavy. I love the lyrics of that song. It says, I've made mistakes. I've let my hope fail. My soul feels crushed by the weight of this world. And I know that you can give me rest. So I cry out with all that I have left. Let me see redemption win let me know the struggle ends that you can mend a heart that's frail and torn. And you know what? We come into God's house today, probably all of us, a little bit frail and a little bit torn. And there are probably some of us who've come into the house of God a lot bit frail and a lot bit torn. But you know what? By the grace of God, He can give you redemption. He can give you hope and he can give you peace no matter what that struggle is that you're dealing with right now, no matter what uh, that heartache that you're dealing with right now, he is here to give you hope and to give you rest and to give you peace. So I pray as we open God's word together that you would be open to that and you would know that The struggle is just going to continue. And yes, there is an end. And that end is the day that we go home to be with Jesus. And we want you to be there with us. So if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, turn with me to the book of Amos, the fourth chapter. The book of Amos, the fourth chapter. If you are using one of the Pew Bibles, uh, it is on page 766. And we'll be teaching, uh, preaching from the ESV this morning, page 766. The book of Amos is a minor prophet writing, and it is a very intriguing book. Uh, It is written by Amos, who is a prophet from Judah. And he he has a hard task and responsibility for him as he is. Writing this and doing what God wants him to do, he is sending a message. Some would say it might be even a sermon to all the surrounding areas. So he's from Judah and he's sending a message to all the surrounding areas of judgment and condemnation. All right, so let's try to think of it in our Colonial Heights mind. No, no, I understand not everyone's from Colonial Heights. You put this in your perspective, uh, but it's someone from Colonial Heights calling out the people of Petersburg and of Prince George and Hopewell and um, Richmond and all the other places that you guys live. It's someone from Colonial Heights calling all those places out along with calling out Colonial Heights. So you can imagine the type of popularity that the prophet Amos has as he is sending this message of judgment and condemnation. And we often hear comments in church, and I'm sure all of us have heard these phrases, don't judge me, or better yet, the, uh, God is my only judge. And while there is truth in those statements, here's the problem that we see in Scripture, is God often uses the people of God to correct the sin of men, okay? He often uses the people of God to correct the sin of men. And this is what we see in Amos. Many of us, if we would have experienced Amos in this time, we would have looked at Amos and said, don't you judge me. You know, God is my only judge. But the problem with that is Amos was sent by God to send a message to the the, the, the people who were around him, the, the areas surrounding him. So as he, in chapter one, focuses on six specific areas around him, he moves on into his biggest, greatest enemy, the the greatest enemy that Judah had, which was the nation of Israel. It was Israel. So what he does is he decides through God, what he needed to do was to give them some judgments that are coming from God and I just want you to think about your biggest enemy. And if God wanted you to go to them and confront them about what's going on in their life, like that's not going to go well. So he has discussed, he has addressed six different groups around him, six different nations around him. And then he is, and I don't think this is a coincidence. Okay. He is the seventh nation that he is going to address is the nation of Israel, which is God's chosen people, and God's number is seven, okay, for those prophetic scholars out there. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think God did that on purpose, but let's, I want you to just listen to some of the words that is said uh, uh, here to the, uh, to Israel. The nation of Israel, it says, Amos 2.13, he says, Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves pressed down. In verse 16, and he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day. In and, and chapter 3, verse 11, an adversary shall surround the land and bring your defenses from you, and your stronghold shall be plundered. Verse 15 of chapter 3. I will strike the winter houses along with the summer houses, and the houses, houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end. So when we go from Amos 1, where he talks to the six surrounding areas, and then he moves into Amos 2 and 3, where he is sending condemnation and judgment to Israel, we move into chapter 4. We understand that Amos is declaring war, famine, and I know this might get a little weird, even nakedness among the people of Israel. He's saying, you're going to experience death. You're going to experience, some of you, famine. You're not going to have food. Some of you are going to experience war. And some of you are going to look a little silly running around the nation naked. Okay? That, that that's what that's what he's saying as he is as he is uh, giving their judgment and condemnation from God. The thing that we often that often gets overlooked as we study the book of Amos, if you've ever studied it, is the consistent, constant obedience of one man in the middle of a difficult situation. You've got to imagine. This guy who is going to his biggest enemies, declaring these things, like his life has to be at stake for doing this. So that moves us to Amos chapter 4. And we're just going to look at two small verses here in Amos chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, where it says this. Come to Bethel and transgress." To Gilgal and multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. And the ESV says, Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is loving, and proclaim free will offerings, publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. See, we have learned over the last few weeks this phrase of sacrifice of thanksgiving. And it is uh, located five times throughout Scripture. And this is one one of the five times. And Pastor Curtis has given us a good understanding of what this phrase means. And what he has uh, taught us is is this means that we're giving God everything that he requires and already owns. Okay, let me say that again. It's giving God everything that he requires and already owns. As I think personally about giving God everything that is required of me, and as I think about giving him everything that he already owns, it starts to become a very overwhelming to me because that list can be very long, extensive, and because it is God and what he owns, it is never ending. But in spite of this long, extensive list of the sacrifice of thanksgivings that we, to all, we are to offer to God, we see a man in Amos who's being obedient to God despite the difficult situation that God has placed him in. This morning, I want us to examine just three ways that we can display this type of sacrifice of thanksgiving that we see here in Amos. And what Amos is calling from the Israelites and personally displaying to the Israelites with the way that he is living. So, point number one on how we can do this. Number one, bring your sacrifice of thanksgiving is being, bringing your sacrifice of thanksgiving is being obedient despite the cost. It's being obedient despite the cost. Verse four, come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgressions, bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. You see, when God is giving us that, that message through Amos, it's not that God is saying, now I want you to consider the cost on how you give to God. He's saying, no, Despite the cost, you you continue to seek obedience. The cost of what we see in the sacrifice of thanksgiving, it's going to be heavy. Because here's the thing. It's being obedient and understanding people are not going to like it when you are being obedient to God. People didn't like when Amos was going to be obedient to God. They didn't like the message that he had. And you know what? It makes me think, hey, they're going to be we're in a world right now that isn't going to like your obedience to God. We're in a world right now that isn't going to like you living that out and speaking the message that God has given you. But even though they don't like it, we still need to be obedient. Take Amos, for example, here. He's calling the Israelites a bunch of thugs. What he is doing, and this is pretty much what he's doing, he's going up to them and he's saying, Okay, y'all don't care for God, you don't love God, and you treat one another like junk, and you treat God the same way. That's, that's what he's telling them. So that, that's like a UVA fan going to a big bowl that Virginia Tech makes it to. Not the league. I know, it's not going to happen. I understand. You know, they're, okay, but let, let's just hypothetically because that's what we're doing. Yeah. We're going to make a little bit of leap here, but Virginia Tech makes it to the Sugar Bowl this year. I mean, I heard a Virginia Tech fan just say, yeah, right. <laughs> but, but let's just say they were. What this is like, a UVA fan, because they're jealous because they're not quite as good and Virginia Tech isn't that good. They go into the stadium, they buy tickets. Tickets are crazy at these bowl games. So they paid 150 bucks, and that's cheap for a, a bowl ticket. They, they paid 150 bucks for a ticket so they can go in and hold a sign that says, you Hokies are a bunch of bums. That's what Amos is doing here. He's going into the midst of enemies. They're wearing their UVA shirt too while they're doing it. They're not hiding any of that. He's going into the midst of enemies and saying, you thugs are treating God like he's a piece of junk. Can you imagine the response that he's getting? Or it's like a Republican going into the Democratic National Convention. No, I'm not going to go there. (laughs) Uh, I'm smarter than that. My wife would have me if I went there. But but you you fill in the blanks from there. It, here's the thing. If we're going to say that we're going to be obedient to God and we're going to walk and we're going to talk like him, giving our sacrifice of thanksgiving, we should expect difficulties to come our way. If we're going to live the life that Christ has called us to live, we have to expect that there's going to be difficulties. And Amos clearly displays That this is a daily grind that he is going through of obedience, no matter what the cost is. There are going to be times in your life, in your Christian life, that you're going to have to give something up to God. You're going to have to give a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That it's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult. We live in a culture that teaches us just do what's right for you and, 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 and I'll do what's right for me. But the bottom line is that just does not work because none of us will feel right if that's the case. So what we have to do is be obedient despite the cost. Believers, can you? We can't think of pain as a burden that we should just run away from or go the opposite way, but rather we need to think of it as a way that God strengthens us. I told our students this past Wednesday, um, whenever I was speaking to high school students, I said, you know what, so many Christians, and this includes us, not just, uh, so many Christians, they see sin in their life, and they think the best way to deal with it is to run away from it. Hey, is that, if, that, if that's what you do, if that's the way you deal with sin, this is what's going to happen. That sin will catch up to you. You cannot and should not run away from it. You need to deal with it. And it's the same way with struggles. You need to deal with your struggles. Many of you before have heard me talk about, um, as uh, as Alice and I have had kids, just the struggle that we had before we had kids. And, you know, even between the two, it was still a struggle was we have had three miscarriages um, and, in, in our marriage. And we've been married, uh, five years, five years, right? <laughs> Got that right. <laughs> Bonus points for me. We've been married for five years and we've had three miscarriages and those have been hard times in our lives. Very hard. We had two before we uh, moved here and you know what? Each miscarriage is different. Each miscarriage is difficult. But after the second miscarriage, whenever I was a a lead pastor, uh, my wife has her own blog. And she, what a blog is, is you write kind of what's going on in your life. You post pictures of kids, all this stuff. And she's a very good, she's very good at saying what's on her heart. And this is what she wrote in April of 2010 after uh, one of our miscarriages, our second one. She says, last week I took another pregnancy test. And two pink, pink lines showed again. We're both excited, but we both, in the back of our heads, maybe, uh, in the back of our heads, maybe we shouldn't be too excited, and then I woke up on Tuesday, and I know what had happened. We had another miscarriage. Both were the exact same day. I always thought that I would get married and getting pregnant would be easy, but the uh, uh, w- would be no problem, but that... Uh, th- this was not God's plan. These are moments that, these are the moments that I know that God is near and still loving, uh, loving God to to us. And this, this is what she says, which I want to uh, really focus on this, which, which you'll, you'll see that I married a very gospel-centered wife. She says this, the truth of the gospel has been pressed on my heart. I know that God has met every need. He brought me a savior who took my place and full in the, uh, for the full wrath of God in order that I can be reconciled with God. When I think of this, I thought that I know, or when I think of this, though, I know that everything else in life is a bonus and that God is still good. Now, this was a difficult time and what she does is she posts this on Facebook. If you guys know what Facebook, social media site, she posts her blog and she put this quote next to it. One of my favorite quotes of all time from John Piper. And this is what John Piper says. I've never heard anyone say the really deep lessons of life have come in times of ease and comfort. But I've heard many saints say every significant advance that I've ever made in grasping in the depth of God's love and growing deep with him has come through suffering. So she posts that on Facebook and a pastor that we are acquainted with makes this statement. That is a sad declaration of Christianity. Is he saying that we can't learn about life while experiencing the abundant life of Jesus? I believe I deeply learn more about God and his lessons when I'm whitewater rafting down the Alps in Switzerland. And to me, I'm, my heart's broken. I'm like, you don't, you don't get it. I can, I can learn about God in the Alps, whitewater rafting in Switzerland. But I can tell you this, I learn so much more about God when I am with my wife, weeping over our miscarriages and working through that. God brings us through those difficult situations. He he allows us to, to experience some suffering so that we understand what Jesus Christ went through. Whenever I'm whitewater rafting, I don't understand what Jesus went through. But when I'm suffering, I get just a glimpse of what he went through. So what happens for us as Christians is we often make business decisions, lifestyle decisions, and even church decisions based on what it costs us. Like, I'm not going to do this because of the weight and the burden and the suffering that it might cost us. And that's not particularly how God wants us to view the Christian life. So the next time you consider joining or leaving a church, you shouldn't be thinking about the pros and the cons. You should be thinking about, is this what Jesus wants from you? It's not like buying a car where, oh, well this is what this car does. This is what that car does. You know, this one goes 150 miles per hour. This one only does 120. You know, this one's 12,000. This one's 13. You know, it's not like we list our pros and cons and we say, okay, well then this one's the better option. It's what does Jesus want from you? What does God want from you? And then do it. Don't worry about the cost. Our obedience should never be dependent on anything. It's almost as if we treat our Christian lives like children. And what I mean by that is, has anyone ever had a conversation with a child to say, go clean your room? And then 10 minutes later, you're you're like, okay, if you go clean your room, I'll give you $2.00. And the child decides to say, "No, I think five dollars is better." So they become this they start negotiating. And then what parents do is they say, "Okay, you go clean your room or I'm going to go grab my belt." Amen. Yeah, that's right. We got we got to amen in the nine thirty. so Curtis had to get that in here, too. But, but here's the thing. What we do is, as parents, we, we start telling children, this is what's going to happen if you do, if you don't. But that's not the way we treat Christianity in, our, in, in making decisions. But that's the way many of us treat our obedience. Don't get me wrong. This is not about moral religiosity. It's not about a set of rules, but it's about following a Jesus who died on the cross and paid every single price for us to have life. So if God owns it already, the sacrifice, sacrifice of thanksgiving, if he owns it already and he deserves it from us, what does it matter the cost? It shouldn't. This commitment isn't holding you down in submission. That's not what God is doing. But it's one where we freely, we freely are obedient to Him because of the love that we have for Him. Point number two is this bringing your sacrifice of thanksgiving is being obedient willfully, being obedient willfully. Listen to verse 5. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving, of which is leavened, and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel. Okay, now we understand Amos is being a little bit sarcastic here. All right? He's like, okay, you guys pretend like you have it together, but you don't. But part of what Amos is saying is you should desire to be obedient to God. And that should be just part of your will. And Jesus gives us the greatest example of willful obedience. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, he says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my father. So if Jesus is our greatest example and he's the one that we're called to follow and called to look like, and his willful obedience was to the point of death, death on a cross, then we should have that same type of obedience. Paul tells us in, in Philippians, he says, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking this form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, the Christian life isn't like a nine-to-five job. It's not like we can come and check into church and then check out and then that that's it. But the Christian life is daily. It's a daily struggle. It's, it's tiring. It, it wears on us. But it's a calling. This is our calling because this is who we are. We're believers in the one true God. We also have examples of uh, of believers showing willful obedience in the Old Testament. Think about Noah. Think about the life of Noah. We just 6 chapters into the book of the entire Bible. God sends a man and says, "Build an ark and I'm going to destroy the rest of the earth." Just think about that obedience. Now, that obedience that was displayed taught his family about what faith in God was truly like. This is what he says. It says Noah in Genesis 6.22. Noah did this, and he did all that God commanded him. That's what our desire is. That's what we should long for. It's to do all that God commands out of us. Job. Job was one who struggled with very much but he showed his willful obedience several times. Job chapter 42 uh, tells us, for you have not spoken what is right. Speaking of someone else, one of his friends says, for you have not spoken what is right as my servant Job has. In the midst of all Job's difficulty, in the midst of him losing his family, his friends, his his well-being, pretty much his life, he is still speaking the truth of God. Not many people can say that they've experienced what Job has. But I want to ask, do we truly show obedience the way that Job has? See, that's the kind of desire that I have and our pastoral staff has for the people of Mount Pleasant is that you would be obedient because because you love God and because you want to be closer to God no matter what is going to come your way. Think about Paul. Uh, Paul was always talking about a willful obedience. Even the book of Romans starts off by saying this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel, verse 5, to bring about the ob- obedience of faith. Paul is constantly talking about obedience. And what happens is when you're obedient to God, when you're having willful obedience, what happens, church, is people see that and it affects your family and it affects your friends. I'll uh, give you a quick testimony. We, um, we, this past Wednesday night, we had 105 students and adults upstairs. There are, we are attracting a group of students on Wednesday nights that I hope they continue to start merging here on Sundays. We are attracting a group of students on Wednesday night that's just unbelievable. Ungodly, you know, there are five that I know of that were there Wednesday night who are claimed atheists, They, they don't even believe in God. But this is what's happening we have a group of students who are living out their faith and being obedient to God and inviting their friends. And it's my prayer, what's going to end up happening is because they have this obedience, sooner or later, it's not just going to affect their family, but it's also going to affect their friends. I mean, atheists are willingly willingly coming in week in week out to our church service our youth service on Wednesday night those are the type of people we want i don't i don't want the students from another church i want those who i left Wednesday night and i've told some of our, our our friends in the church and i told Alice i said you know i don't i don't even know what what to do i mean we probably have half of our students on Wednesday night who don't even know Jesus. But this is, this is the problem that I love. Because what's happening is we have a group of students, a small group of students who have decided we are going to be obedient and what we're going to do is we're going to do what God wants us to do. And that might mean that I have a couple atheist friends that don't agree with me. They're not going to press the issue until they see that I care for them. And once, I, once they see that I care for them, then it's, that's going to uh, take effect. What I want us to think about is with this willful obedience is the God who can decimate this earth in the matter of a blink sent his son to willfully hang on a cross I like what was told to me this week. It says, it wasn't the nail that held him there. It wasn't the nails on the cross that held Jesus there. It was Jesus' willful obedience. Because get this, Jesus could have ripped those nails out. He could have decided enough with this. But he didn't. He said, I want to be obedient no matter What? God cares about us and our desires, and He wants our desires to be obedient, and He wants our desires to follow Him. See, when we accept the call of God, He changes everything about us. He changes our identity. He gives us a new name. He gives us a new purpose. That identity and purpose should be willfully giving Him everything that we can. All these examples that we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Just points to us being having this sacrifice of thanksgiving, giving Jesus everything that he already owns and everything that he deserves. And it shows that we should have a life that says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. I challenge you with your life. How have you this week? been not ashamed of the gospel, I want you to uh, i don't have the time to explain the entire story, but uh, I'd love for you to this week go home and google um, the story of dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born in Germany and was was bec- becoming a pastor uh, in the midst of Adolf Hitler. And he moved to the United States for like, I think one year. And he was so like frustrated that he wasn't back over there helping go against uh, the regime of Adolf Hitler. So he goes back over there and he he becomes up, he's a pastor there and he's pursuing God. And uh, Hitler is saying, hey, you better stop or we will kill you. You better stop or we will kill you. And he refuses to stop and he tries to push Hitler out of his regime. And what he tries to do is him and a group of others tried to take his life, okay? Fighting for the cause of Christ and for the cause of others. Uh, well, in the midst of it, they fell doing it. So what Hitler does is he gets Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he arrests him and in public hangs him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer decided that it was worth the cost. Dietrich Bonhoeffer decided that it was worth being willfully obedient. And I love the, the quote that Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in one of his books. He says this, Only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. So you this morning can decide whether you're faithful to God or not by whether you're obedient and by whether you truly believe. Because our actions, our lifestyles, show what we truly believe. Point number three, and we'll close. Bringing your sacrifice of thanksgiving is finding joy through difficulty. Again, we see in in, in this latter part of verse five, for uh, where it says, "And proclaim free will offerings; publish them, for so you love to do." O oh, people of Israel, now again, we understand that he's being a little bit sarcastic, but he's saying this is really should be what you love to do. You really don't. You love to show show yourself up. You love to uh, you love to make a mockery of God. But you truly should. You truly should. So that you show that you love giving this sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. Well, here's the thing: sacrifice isn't easy. A sacrifice of thanksgiving is even harder, but we can find joy in that. Just as I mentioned with our illustration with our miscarriage, that was difficult. But you know, we have two children now and we wouldn't have those two if it wasn't for those three miscarriages. Finding joy in the midst of difficulty and there are times where we do things that might hurt but we do them because we know it's what's best. Like the example that was given to me was it hurts to discipline children but why do we discipline children? For them to be obedient because that's what's best for them. It's the same thing for the Christian life. Like what's best for us? Obedience. So When a child of God fights for joy in God, God himself is the one who is behind the struggle, but he is also giving the will and the power to defeat the enemy. Um, I like that song, how it said, um, I want to know a song can rise from the ashes of a broken life. And all that's dead inside can be reborn because I'm worn. And my prayers are wearing thin. I'm worn even before the day begins. I'm worn. I've lost my will to fight. I'm worn. So heaven, so come and flood flood my eyes. See, it's like I'm worn, but man, my desire needs to be God. I like Psalms 30 verse 5 where it says, Weeping may last for the night, but joy does what? Comes in the morning. Here's the thing, people of God, is we come to church today, an average Sunday, nice weather outside, but there are some of us that are dealing with an enormous amount of guilt, an enormous amount of sin that we've been running from. And let me tell you, stop running. Stop running and lay those burdens down at the cross. Here's the thing, that that Jesus dying on the cross doesn't just cover some of your sins. Doesn't just cover most of your sins. It covers all of them. But you have to be willing to give those up to him, And some of you haven't done that. So it's not for us to weigh the options on whether we should be obedient or not. Our, Our obedience needs to be willingly. And we need to expect that this idea of sacrificing is going to be difficult. Bonhoeffer's quote, only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. Some of y'all have not been obedient. Here's why you've never believed. And today needs to be that day that you put your trust and your hope in a Savior who can actually give you hope. And this is what we promise you we don't promise you fame and fortune and riches. We promise you it's going to be difficult at times. But when it is difficult, you have someone to lean on that you do not have to lean on right now. You have someone that gives you hope. That's Jesus. That's the one who died on the cross and three days later rose from the dead and was alive and is alive today. Put your hope in him. Not in anything else but him. I'm to pray and then we're going to have a time of invitation. Let's pray.